Well, again, good morning. My name is George Davis. Thank you, whether you're in person or online, for being a part of our services this morning. In welcoming you, I also want to just take a moment to welcome the latest group of individuals who have gone through our membership process. We, we actually had a great time together. We met a couple of times at my house, and so I want to welcome these individuals who are the latest group of people to say, hey, we are identifying with this church community as our home church, as our church family. And I want to highlight that not only to recognize these individuals, but just to uh, remind you that this may be a next step for you. So we'll keep you informed. We'll be doing uh, our next membership group early in the new year. So we'll keep you informed of that. You know, as Bashak shared her story, I, I was kind of wondering, how do you put a label over that? And perhaps the label that I would put over what she was sharing and some of the experiences that I, even our team went through would be this, the surprising work of God. The amazing way God can be at work, in, even in hard situations, challenging life stories and other parts of the world in different contexts to fulfill the mission that is rooted in the pages of Scripture. I think it's important for us to pay attention to the surprising work of God for this reason. Sometimes, unfortunately, uh, I think we can get the vibe in church circles that, you know, the, the, the more you learn about God, the more mature you become in your faith, then the more things will go according to plan. If you just learn, if you just learn the right rules and you learn the set of behaviors and you get into the right practices, your life will be something that is predictable, controllable, and you kind of live in this understanding of always what's coming next. And unfortunately, we, we don't necessarily say that up front, but I think in some church context, that's the vibe you get about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And yet, as we come back to our story, uh, our journey through the book of Acts, we're going to see that in the stories we look at this morning, Acts tells us the exact opposite reality. Because particularly when we get into kind of one of the early sections of the book of Acts, what we are confronted with in scene after scene is the surprising work of God. Now let me just remind you what we've already experienced in the opening chapters of Acts, right? We've, we've, we've witnessed the start of the early Christian movement, the coming of the Spirit of God in power at Pentecost, the start of this church in Jerusalem, and in so many ways things seem to be going well. People are becoming followers of Jesus. This young church is learning what it means to be a community, to look out for one another, to work through conflict, to care for one another. In so many ways things are going according to plan. But then in chapter 7, there is the martyrdom of Stephen, an early Christian leader. And many Christians flee Jerusalem for their own safety, for the safety of their families. And then in chapters 8 through 12, we see multiple stories, story after story of, of individuals or groups coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and what, is, what is interesting in these four chapters is it, consistently these are people coming to faith whom we didn't expect. In different ways, they were outsiders, even outcasts. Let me, let me just maybe summarize chapters 8 through 12 this way. First, right, I mean, you've got these Samaritans 
coming to faith as the gospel message goes out. And they were, they were considered outcasts, outsiders, just for ethnic, racial, historical reasons. Then, then you have an Ethiopian eunuch who becomes a follower of Jesus. And, and in his case, he was, he was an outcast because physically he was different than other people. And that was part of his outcast identity. Then you have Saul, who becomes a follower of Christ. And, and of course, he's a very faithful Jew, but he had actually been persecuting the Christian movement. He was the leading opponent of Christianity, and so he's an outsider for that reason. And then then you have Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And and with the conversion of Cornelius, we we see the Christian message begin to now permeate Gentile circles, to move beyond the confines of the Jewish nation. And this will take us through the duration of the storyline of the book of Acts to watch this message go out. So in different ways, each of these... Each of these scenes describes someone or some group that we didn't expect become followers of Jesus. Now, I realize at one level you could say, well, yes, but George, all of this is anticipated in the Old Testament and in the ministry of Jesus, if you look carefully. And I think that's true. But still, for those early followers of Jesus to actually live in the pages of the book of Acts, if you were actually on the ground at this moment, these were surprising stories. These were stories where people would say, I just didn't expect that. This isn't what I was expecting. When I was in college, um, I remember attending a conference where, where the kind of the main event of the conference was a debate on the existence of God. And it featured several internationally known Christian apologists, as well as several internationally known atheists. And all of the individuals on both panels were highly regarded, well-published scholars. And, And one of the individuals on the atheist side was an influential atheist by the name of Tony Flew or Anthony Flew. And arguably at that time, and this takes us all the way back to the 80s, but at that time, Arguably, he was the most influential atheist in the world. And so I'm sitting here as a college student listening to him, and i got to tell you, he was articulate, he was, he was gracious but, and thoughtful, but he was you know, very clear in his beliefs, very confident in his beliefs. And sitting there, listening to this Oxford scholar, I mean, it was an intimidating experience to some degree, sitting there as a college student, here's what I never would have expected. I never would have expected that a little over a decade later, this atheist would write a book entitled, There is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. Now, in a real sense, I think for these early followers of Christ, yes, what's happening has been anticipated in the pages of Scripture, but kind of a getting used to it, seeing it in real time is coming to grips with the surprising work of God. And that leads to a simple observation, which I I just want to unpack for you over a few moments. And the observation is this. I think one of the things I walk away with from these these stories and acts is, is just the observation, don't be surprised by the surprising work of God. 
Don't be surprised by the surprising work of God. Now, to, to unpack that further, I want to look at this section from two angles. First of all, I want to look particularly at, at chapter 9 and the conversion of Saul. And then, more generally, I want us to, to think through this section in terms of the experience of these early followers of Christ. So as we think about the surprising work of God, let's come to Acts chapter 9. And of course, we're introduced to Saul as an individual who was a well-established religious leader, well-educated, also very zealous in his persecution of early Christians. He considered this movement heretical, so much so that even as Christians began scattering out of Jerusalem, he wanted to go after them. So his plan is to head to Damascus in pursuit of these people who are fleeing Jerusalem. But along the way, this happens. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Wow. Right? I know you're, you're probably familiar with the story, but it is a, it's a dramatic, powerful encounter with Jesus, right? And of course, this will lead to one of the most surprising dimensions that is recounted in the book of Acts, which is the the fact that the leading persecutor of Christianity will become an influential missionary of this movement. And and we will see that carry through in the second half of the book, which we're really going to follow along with in the beginning of 2023 as we follow Paul's missionary journey and, and, and pay careful attention to his letters. So this is the beginning of that ministry. And by the way, in in Acts, you will see this individual referred to by two different names, Saul, which is his Hebrew name, and Paul, which is his Greek name. And consequently, once he begins moving in Greco-Roman circles, he, he becomes known by that Greek name, Paul. Now, when you read this story, it's easy, it's really easy to almost bracket it off and say, wow, that's just another one of the, these, these, surprising things in the book of Acts, these supernatural events. We've talked about this already in the series. You know, there are moments in the book of Acts where you just go, wow, that's, that's an incredible story. But we, we read moments like this, and it's, it's just hard to envision what this entailed, right? I, I still find, I find it difficult to actually imagine what this moment was like as Saul encounters the risen Christ. And I guess at one point, it's, it's easy to say, well, you know what, that's just one of those Bible stories. That's a unique moment in God's work, and, it's, you know, it's not going to happen to me. I'm never going to see a dramatic encounter of the risen Christ and when I'm traveling, and so there's very little for me here to pay attention to. 
But can I suggest there's more going on here than we may see initially? Because interestingly, you know, as the book of Acts continues, it, you get to the second half of the book and it really does follow the story of Paul as he travels, as he, the gospel spreads. And in the midst of following Paul the apostle, there are two other places where we encounter reference to this scene. In, in tracking the journeys of Paul, there are two different places where we hear Paul actually describing this scene in his own terms, Acts chapters 22 and Acts chapter 26. And in the account in Acts chapter 26, Paul includes, he actually adds, a very fascinating detail to what happened during this scene. Let me show it to you. Right, in recounting this interaction with Christ, Paul says, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And here's the added detail. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now maybe you've heard that phrase before and you're not quite sure what it means. Well, here's what you need to think about. A goad was a tool often a sharp instrument that could be used in directing livestock. I'm from Texas. We talk about a cattle prod, right? I mean, it's a, it's a tool you use to move livestock, to keep, you know, to correct, to prod, to move in a particular direction. And so when Jesus says, why, you know, it's hard to kick against the goats, this is, this is what he's talking about. And here's where this becomes interesting. I think this statement implies that, yes, this is a dramatic moment, but the statement implies already God, God has been prodding Saul in particular ways. Already there have been aspects of his life where, where God has been at work leading up to this moment. And it's like Jesus saying to Saul, Saul, I've, I've, I've already been working in your life. Why are you moving against me? Now, we have to be careful here because I, I'm not exactly sure what this refers to. Possibly, what's being described here, referenced here, are the encounters that Saul has already had with Christians, including Stephen. It's possible that the the experience that Saul has already had with those people he's been persecuting has, has already started to raise questions or there's, uh, there's been a, some kind of conviction that's already been at work at his life. And so Jesus in this dramatic moment is, hey, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goats. Ultimately, God has already been at work encouraging him in this direction. Several weeks ago, I, I was traveling for a board meeting, and I had just a fascinating, <laughs> I had a fascinating conversation with an Uber driver who picked me up at O'Hare Airport and took me to my hotel. As we were driving along, you know, I just kind of started some conversation with him, and uh, it turns out he's from Europe, so I was curious about that, and kind of wanted to find out a bit, how did he get to America, what's his experience in America been like, so we had that conversation, and I, and I asked him about his family, and you know, just a little bit about that, and who's, who's here, who's in Europe, you know, so we had that conversation, and so he started, he starts telling me about his family. 
But then, and I kid you not, it's, it's almost like he took a U-turn in the conversation. Because he moved from telling me about his family to telling me about this friend that had been, and had been apparently close to him who had died suddenly in his early 50s. And apparently this had, this had happened fairly recently. And as he's telling me about this, he just starts to express, I, w- I would just call it anxiety and uncertainty related to death and how this situation with his friend was bringing all of this to the surface in his life. And he just kind of started unpacking that for a moment. And, and, and I listened, and finally I said, look, I mean, because he and I are probably around the same age. We're both in our 50s. I said, look, I get it. We are getting older. And then, then I just took a moment to explain, you know, um, I, I get where you're coming from. I said, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I explained what that meant. And I said, you know, I, I do get some of the concerns you're talking about, and what I find gives me hope and a sense of direction in dealing with those kinds of concerns is the fact that I'm now in this new relationship. But, you know, as, as I reflected on that conversation, I did wonder, what's going on in his life that this is just right below the surface, that he would, he would just kind of start bringing this up to a total stranger? And I couldn't help but wonder the ways that he's being prodded right now. And maybe even my conversation with him was part of that. Jesus says it's hard to kick against the goats. And one of the reasons I mention that is maybe something like that is going on in your life right now. Maybe you're not really sure what you think about Jesus or Christianity, but you know, for some reason recently you've just been thinking more deeply about life. What's it about? How do I make sense of it? What's the point? Maybe more recently there's just been a deepening, nagging sensation of something is off, something is wrong, something is missing. Or maybe there's something that has happened in your life, in a relationship, in your work, in your school, and it has become disruptive, and you're trying to make sense of it. Where do I go from here? What's my next step? Maybe it's been disorienting. You're trying to figure it out. How do I get my bearings? Could it be that in the midst of that chaos, God God is actually prodding? and directing, and challenging, and even inviting you. Inviting you into his work of forgiveness, renewal, made possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe right now, in a real sense, Jesus is looking at you going, why Why are you kicking against the goats? So don't, don't be surprised by the surprising work of God. 
Now, even as this situation was surprising for Saul, let's just think about this broader section from the perspective of those early followers of Christ in Jerusalem. Think about how surprising this this season was in their lives. Again, they'd become right followers of Jesus. They'd witnessed the dramatic arrival of the Spirit at Pentecost. They'd been part of this caring community. They were looking out for one another, and things were growing, and they were developing relationships. But then this happened in Acts chapter 8, right after the martyrdom of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, you may wonder, why weren't the apostles scattered? That's a great question. Um, I think it's possible that, in essence, what happens, in some sense, the apostles go underground so that they can continue to provide leadership for the church and for other people there. I think the sentiment was, if we, if we just... If we get out of Jerusalem for a while, if we leave town for a while, we can get out ahead of the persecution. And this is, this is a way we can keep our families safe. This is the way we can uh, continue to follow Christ. So there was just kind of this sense of if we just get out of what's going on in Jerusalem, that will be better for us. Now just think for a moment what that might have been like, right? I mean, you now look, most of us, if, if you're part of a family, you know the chaos of getting ready for vacation, right? And getting ready for vacation, particularly if you've got small kids. Imagine what it would be like to be in a moment where it's like, we've, just get to, we've got to get out of town. We've got to get out of Jerusalem. Where, where, where are we going to go? Whom do we know in the outer lying regions that will welcome us? What family members? Whom do we know? And, and where can we stay? And when we get there, what can we do? Now, just let that sink in for a moment. And think about how surprising, confusing, disorienting that experience would be to flee Jerusalem as these people flee in the opening of Acts chapter 8. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, it's been great in the opening chapters, all of us together in this church, but now, now things have gotten really complicated. What are we going to do now? This week, as as we were preparing for uh, this message, I was talking through this passage with others, and, and here was part of our conversation. We talked about the fact that, you know, sometimes here's here's kind of our experience as followers of Christ. We become followers of Jesus, and initially things just seem so simple. It's almost like we've got it figured out, and things are going according to plan. But then there can come times that that feel like our lives are completely unraveling where life gets complicated and it's disorienting. And we wonder, what's going on? And where is God in this? Now, what we may not realize is how God uses these complications at times to bring us to a deeper understanding of himself, to bring us to a deeper awareness, understanding of who we are in him. 
bring us to a deeper cognizance of our role in his ongoing mission. And, and what these people arguably, arguably didn't understand at this moment, yeah, it's chaotic, it's crazy, things have gone from simple to complex, but this is a moment where God, in a surprising way, is actually going to send the message out. Because even as these people kind of go out of Jerusalem with so many questions, so much chaos, all along the way, they're going to have conversations with people. And what are you doing here? Why did you leave Jerusalem? Well, we became followers of Jesus of Nazareth. And with every conversation, the message is spreading. Now, to understand what's going on here, I I want to draw your attention to maybe one phrase you you may not have noticed before. It is a a phrase that occurs in the beginning of Acts chapter 9 as as Luke is describing this persecution that Saul is bringing about. Because in Acts chapter 9, Saul is described as doing this. He He is pursuing, he's persecuting anyone who belonged to the way. If you read the book of Acts, you will discover... There are multiple occasions where followers of Christ are described with this language. They are people of the way, or people who belonged to the way. And I realize at this point, that just sounds really weird, doesn't it? You know, we talk about people who belong to the way, and it sounds like a cult group, right? You kind of envision the guy with crazy hair holding a sign behind the goalpost at an NFL game. You know, it's one of those people. I know this kind of sounds like crazy language, but we need to pay attention to it. I think one of the reasons we need to pay attention to this language is, arguably, this was one of the earliest ways in which followers of Jesus described themselves. Now, we know from Acts that the term Christian was first used in Antioch. But apparently the term Christian was not, it's not a term the followers developed. It's a term that outsiders developed looking at them. They looked at this group of people. They're always talking about Jesus Christ. They are little Christ. And that's how the name Christian developed. So the name Christian was ultimately not a term that developed within the movement. It was a name that outsiders developed looking in. By contrast, one of the earliest terms that Christians used to describe themselves was this. We are people of the way. Now, where did did that language come from? Well, again, I realize it's odd language, it's imagery we don't necessarily use as much today. It sounds weird or cultic. But the truth is, this language, this image, is actually deeply embedded in the pages of Scripture, particularly the prophecies of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Because Isaiah knew that, you know, Israel is ultimately going to go into exile because of their disobedience, but that's not the end of the story. And in the back half of Isaiah, he has prophecies filled with hope that one day God will deliver his people. One day God will make a way, a way out of exile, a way of salvation, a way of renewal. And these early followers of Christ in the pages of the book of Acts are coming to grips with the reality that we are experiencing the fulfillment of those promises. 
And I think it's an image, it's an image that works on multiple levels of meaning. For instance, it's an image of transformation. It's a transforming image because it's an image of God bringing people out of exile, out of bondage, out of darkness into light. It's an image that anticipates the transforming, liberating work of God's spirit in our lives. As one scholar has noted, this image communicates the reality that following Jesus is to be a dynamic rather than a static experience. So it's, it's an image of transformation. Not only is it a transforming image, it's a relational image, right? This idea of people on this journey together, it is a movement. It involves relationships. To be brought into relationship with Christ is to be brought into relationships with other people. And we see this in the book of Acts. Individualism dies in the pages of Luke's Acts. Not only is it a transforming image, a relational image, it's also a missional image because to be, to be on this journey, to be on this way is to be part of a movement that is fulfilling God's mission. And in a real sense, I think these are what these early followers of, of Jesus are learning is as their life has gotten more complicated, it was simple in Jerusalem, but now it's more complicated, yet in the midst of it, they are encountering the surprising work of God because they're, they're people on the way. I mean, God, I think, is using this season to deepen their understanding of who he is and how he's working. Right? God is, God is using this season to kind of force them to come to grips with the reality that, yes, this message of Christ really does apply to outsiders. And this message of Christ really going, is going to move beyond the bounds of what you consider to be comfortable. So they're experiencing this transforming work. Likewise, even as they're scattered, I think they're, they're actually being scattered in such a way that they, they, they will become part of new little communities of followers located throughout this region. So they're, they're experiencing the relational dimension of the way. And furthermore, in this scattering, they are becoming more deeply rooted in God's mission. Perhaps for some of them up to this point, right, the, the missional work of the gospel, that's the responsibility of the apostles. But now the apostles are staying in Jerusalem. It's everybody else who is carrying out the message beyond Jerusalem. And even as their, even as their lives have become more complicated... Maybe you as a follower of Christ would say, yeah, this is a very different scene in Acts compared to my life, but there is something I can resonate with. Maybe at one point you would say, yeah, I, thought, I, I just kind of thought my life had it all together. I thought I had the Christian thing figured out and things were going smoothly. But now things have gotten complicated. Disorienting, confusing. And you may feel stuck in the chaos. And my question to you in the midst of that is this. Are you open to the surprising work of God? Are you open to the reality that even 
like what was going on in the story of these early followers where, yeah, it it seems so great in Jerusalem, but now it's gotten complicated, chaotic, disoriented. But yeah, God was at work in that moment. Are are you willing to be open to the reality that maybe this is what God is wanting to do in your life right now, that the, the chaos is actually a place where he's seeking to be at work in some surprising way? Along those lines, I was intrigued this week in some reading that I did. I came across a, a book co-authored by Becky Miller. And in the introduction, she tells part of her life story. And it, it was really fascinating to read. She says, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And she said that, and she kind of drew me in because I'm a pastor's kid as well. And She said, growing up, you know, around church, I grew up around certain assumptions. And she lists those assumptions, she said, that I just grew up with. And Here were a couple of them. I kind of grew up with the assumption, you know, if you believe precisely in the right way, your doctrine will keep you safe. She said, I also grew up with the assumption that if you keep all the God-ordained rules, you will have a happy and blessed life and be safe in heaven when you die. She continues, there was just one problem. The rules didn't work. My Christianity crumbled in my 20s when I realized I wasn't safe and I wasn't happy. And some of the well-known Christian teachers who had made those promises and rules turned out to be hypocrites I could no longer trust. She writes, I couldn't handle the feeling of my spiritual guts tumbling out, so I held myself together with a rubber band of willpower and denial. And then she describes her, how her life got only more complicated. Yet in the midst of that complexity, she observes this. That raw, empty place is where God met me in the wild comfort of the Holy Spirit and set me on a healing journey that transformed not only my mind and my heart, but also my spirit. And she says, I came to see this. It's about being transformed inside and out into knowing, thinking, feeling, acting, and loving like Jesus. In other words, being a Christian is about actually learning to follow him. And maybe, maybe that's where you're at right now. In the midst of a moment that is uncertain and complex. Jesus is saying, follow me. In the midst of a moment that may seem very chaotic, he is telling you, look in this. Because if you're my follower, you're you're on this way. And even in the midst of this complexity, this journey of following me, sometimes in the midst of the complexity becomes that moment where God's spirit continues to pull back layers in our lives so that his healing work can get to the deepest part of who we are. And maybe in the midst of this complexity, it's a moment where he's wanting you to discover the reality of what it's like to be in a Christian community and have other people around you and to before you in meaningful ways. Maybe in the midst of this complexity, he's wanting you to kind of come to a deeper awareness that, you know what, you're actually part of a bigger story. 
And you kind of need to get over the little story that you're holding on to so that you can be part of the bigger story that I'm inviting you into because I want you, I want you to be a witness for my movement. Are you open to the surprising work of God? So don't be surprised by that surprising work. Don't simply kick against the goads. Hear the words of Jesus, who even now is saying, follow me. Follow me. Let's pray together. So God, as we're kind of moving our way through this early section of the book of Acts, we're confronted with stories like the conversion of Paul, these surprising works of your power, and we see the way your work brings people who seem to be outcast and outsiders into the story. Father, even as we think about that surprising work, first of all, I pray for some who who may be listening to this, who the truth is they're kind of on the outside looking in. But the truth is, if they're honest with themselves, there's, there, there have been ways that already in their lives you've, <laughs> you've been goading and directing and challenging and confronting and inviting. And Father, maybe some of us today, we just need to stop kicking against the goats. We need to receive your gift of new life, of forgiveness that's made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. So I pray for those who who need to make that step. I pray that they they would be willing to surrender so that they can become a part of this bigger story of what you are doing. Father, likewise, I pray for those of us who've already started this journey who maybe have hit a a complex moment, a chaotic moment, and it's one of those moments where it feels like it's a dead end and I'm stuck and I see no way out and where are you and all these questions and uncertainties. In the midst of that chaos, I I pray that the chaos that these Christians experience would remind us that, that you can actually be at work in those moments. So may we be open to your surprising work. And rather than simply getting stuck in the chaos, the confusion, the uncertainty, may we really seek to hear your voice who is calling us forward who says, follow me. And I pray these things in the name of the one who makes that possible, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, I want to thank you for joining us and uh, just let you know we'd love to pray with you. If there's some area that we can pray with you about, maybe you are in that complex moment and it's like I'm, I feel like I'm stuck in the chaos. And if we can just pray with you just to encourage you to be open to God's surprising work, whatever that may look like in your life, we'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. So our, our members of our prayer team are going to be up at the front and we'd just love to have that conversation and pray with you and alongside you. So now as we go, may we go as people who were open to the surprising work of God. And may we go 
as people who even in the midst of chaotic, disorienting situations, listen for the one who in the midst of that says, follow me. Follow me. Amen.